Morning, everyone. Just want to say thanks for those words, Jill. I'm not sure about the wonderful, but I, I just do it, all right? So, as Jill said, today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, and you'll find it on page 1177 in the church Bibles in front of you. So, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Well, good morning. And uh, as we get back into Ephesians, we're continuing to look at this theme of how the message of Jesus transforms us. And we're looking today at how it transforms us in the context of our day-to-day work. Except when you look at the passage, it seems like the cultural context is so different that we're not sure how to react. It's talking about the relationships between slaves and masters in the first century Greco-Roman world. I mean, what are we to make of that? Should we be reacting with outrage because Paul tells the slaves to submit to their masters? Or is there anything we can learn? What's the response? Well, that's a big question. Let me just say three quick things that may help. The first is that the message of Jesus spread fastest in the first century among the poor, many of whom were slaves. So really what Paul is doing is addressing their reality, which is a perfectly legitimate thing for him to do. Second thing to say is that first century slavery was bad and needed changing for sure. But it probably was, in general, a bit less brutal, a bit less dehumanising than the new world slavery that underpins the uh, North Atlantic slave trade. And in the first century world, slavery was the only option, the only kind of safety net that existed for people who fell upon hard times. So however desirable abolition of slavery might have been, immediate and unthinking abolition would have actually resulted in uh, making a whole class of people immediately destitute with nowhere to turn, not the best tactic. And then the third thing to say is that, yes, it's true that Paul does teach the slaves how to honour Jesus within their slavery. But notice also that he immediately goes on to teach the masters how they should act. And in teaching them, he really subverts the whole idea of slavery by telling the masters that their slaves don't belong to them, but to God. And that they will therefore answer to him for the way in which they treat their slaves. So I think with a bit of cultural translation, we can still hear the relevance of these verses to us. And I want to just home in on three areas. The first is our attitude in the workplace in verses five to seven. Verse five, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So the emphasis here is on respect and integrity, what he calls sincerity of heart. Now, Our society, of course, balances the rights of employer and employee very differently to this context. So I don't think for a minute that Paul uh, intends us to hear him as saying that we should never question or challenge our bosses. Not that at all. But 
I think he is still calling us to an attitude of respect within the workplace. And I suggest we can be distinctive quite often in our workplace context by committing to that attitude, by determinedly resisting the kind of back chat cynicism that so often goes on in the workplace and intentionally treating colleagues and managers and clients with dignity, with respect. But also integrity, sincerity of heart. And verse six explains what that means. He says, it's about doing your job just as well when the boss isn't looking as when the boss is looking over your shoulder. And the reason for it, end of verse six, it's as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. In other words, it's because your master is Jesus and he is always watching. So do your best for him. But in verse seven, he talks about that word wholeheartedly, encouraging that as an attitude in our workplace. And I love that, uh, that word because it tells me that Christians are not meant to be kind of work shy in the workplace, uh, kind of cutting corners, doing a shoddy job because, you know, they're they're pursuing a higher purpose in all their church service after all. So work just pays the bills. No, no, not at all. Do it wholeheartedly. Paul says, wholeheartedly, with energy, creativity, with positivity, give your all in your workplace. So when someone comes up to me and they sound really enthusiastic about their career, I don't find myself thinking, oh dear, they're too committed to their career. I wish they were more stuck into church. No, I much more think, fantastic that they are following Jesus 24-7, because that's what we're called to do, our attitude. And then second, our motivation. Verse seven, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will, re will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Just think about those slaves again for a moment. Think about the stuff that they were doing, cleaning latrines, digging gardens, educating children, cooking food, handling household finances, all kinds of stuff, lots more as well. A lot of it wasn't very glamorous and very little of it seemed at all spiritual. But Paul is saying they could do it all for Jesus and he would reward them for it. That's why they could be wholehearted, because it was for him. So again, into our context, the things that we do every day, office administration, an assignment at university, bedbathing a patient, arranging a loan, doing a deal to strengthen your business, sweeping the floor, doing research, writing code for a database, teaching a child, yeah, making money, writing a policy, doing great customer service. You can do it for Jesus and you can feel his pleasure when you do it to the best of your ability. And he will reward you, not just for what you do in church, but for what you do 24-7 as well, because that's for him and he cares about it. Our attitude, our motivation. Finally, our responsibility. In verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. This is basically about how we treat people. All people, colleagues, managers, clients, competitors, but it's especially about how we treat those that we manage. And it's so revolutionary, isn't it? Verse 9, masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Paul has just described how the slaves should treat their masters with respect and integrity and wholehearted commitment. And now he says to the masters, you should treat your slaves the same way. 
Can you see how that completely subverts the very idea of slavery? Don't tell me that Paul accepts slavery. He doesn't. He turns it upside down just in a subtle way. And end of verse 9. Know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. Never mind whether Paul believes in slavery. God certainly doesn't believe in slavery. Slaves and masters stand on level ground before him. But again, to translate into our context, just reimagine your workplace context with everyone believing that every other person there matters equally and is to be treated with respect and care and fairness. Imagine that. That's God's vision for your workplace. Imagine it. And with God's help, do all you can to make it real. Well, that's all great in theory. But what about day-to-day -day practice? What about the hard decisions? What about the boring bits as well as of work, as well as the fun bits? How can we actually know and follow Jesus 24-7? Well, our very own Jill Brown, who's got lots of experience in the financial services sector and has also been working for a number of years in the University of Portsmouth, teaching marketing and uh, working as a senior manager. She's been chatting to a number of people in the church and is going to help us explore how all of this can land on Monday morning. Thanks, Jill. Over to you. Thank you to John. Preaching from the garden, I think it's the way forward. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who contributed to the video montage as well. It was much appreciated. And I found it a real eye-opener uh, to the, rain, the wide range of work that we're involved in as a church family. I'd like to invite Jenny, uh, Jenny Ross, to join me now. And in a moment, we're going to hear from Chris Ward. Jenny and Chris have very kindly uh, been uh, press-ganged by me uh, to answer a few questions about what they do as a paid job and how their faith influences them. Hi, Jenny. So we'll start with the obvious, uh, straightforward question, hopefully, which is, could you pre please briefly explain what you do as a job? Yeah. So those of you that don't know me, um, I work as a pharmacist. Um, I work at Southampton General Hospital. Um, I've worked there in several different roles now since I first qualified back in summer 2009. Um, the current role I've been doing now for six years, I kind of applied for and got a new job when I was on maternity leave with my youngest. So kind of left one job, went on maternity leave and went back to something different. Um, and I'm kind of in that. I'm no longer, I don't have a patient-facing role, so I don't work on the wards anymore, but I'm one of the managers. Um, so I manage all of our foundation pharmacists we have in hospital. So they're sort of typically in their first few years of their career, so they just qualify, and that's kind of the first position they start in. Um, I currently have about 12 pharmacists, but I have had up to sort of 15 that um, work with me, I guess, um, so I oversee their training, their developments. I sort of do lots of assessments with them, sort of plan what work they're going to be doing um, and kind of help them progress and develop in kind of the beginning of their career. Um, another part of my role is that I manage our out-of-hour service that we have at the hospital. So we provide pharmacy service 24-7. During the day, we have teams in, but overnight, we have one of my pharmacists working with a phone at home. Um, so I kind of support them. I've got a team of about 11 pharmacists that cover that service. I support them, do their training before they start, um, help review stuff and go through things, kind of debrief with them. Um, and I have had to step in sometimes myself to cover that as well. So there's a few times we've had gaps I've had to fill. But overall, it's good. Wow, your role is really 
clearly quite challenging, very challenging. And I know that when you first qualified as a pharmacist about 13 years ago, you weren't planning on ending up doing this kind of job. So in your experience, can you talk to us about how much you think God guides you in your job searching and your career path? Yeah, definitely. So I think when I was at university, I had sort of a clear plan in my head where I thought I'd end up. And I, I really haven't ended up in that same place. Um, but I really do feel that God has led me and I'm confident in where I am now is definitely where, where God wants me to be. Um, kind of throughout my career, there's been a number of times when I've applied for jobs and I haven't got them. And I think at the time, you understandably feel really disappointed. But actually looking back now, I can clearly see that that wasn't the right job for me. And I can know that God has been really faithful in the way he's sort of led me. He's just led me on a slightly different path than I thought I'd end up in. Um, several months ago, um, I remember feeling really kind of just unsettled in my job, sort of questioning the role I'm in now, whether it's the right place for me, whether it's something I should continue in or something, if I should be doing something different. Um, I think it's been a really tough couple of years working in um, the NHS. Um, in our pharmacy team as well, we had quite a few changes um, within our senior teams. I think I was just feeling really unsettled and kind of through that, I remember coming to the praise and prayer evening we had back in, I think it was in the autumn time, um, which was amazing. And I think, I remember someone brought, kind of came, had a word from God that just said, um, you're exactly where God meant for you to be. And I remember that really spoke to me in that situation and just reminded me that God is with me, um, that he's, he's got his hand on my life, on my career, and I am working where he wants me to be. And I guess it felt really reassuring in that kind of time of feeling really unsettled and just lots of change. That Actually, no, God was with me still in that situation, and he was um, placing me where he wanted me to be, even if it's really hard. Thank you. Now, in January 2021 the challenge of your job moved up to a level that you never anticipated that it would. You were working at Southampton General Hospital. COVID was raging. Wards were rapidly being converted to treat the COVID patients coming in, and it must have been really frightening. God was with you, but how much were you conscious of that at that time? Yeah, it was a really tough time, and I think probably one of the toughest I've worked through in my career. Um, I think... Southampton Hospital um, in the first wave of the pandemic I think we were quite protected so the lockdown came at probably the right time um, we didn't see anywhere near the, the levels of patients that you've seen in some of the London hospitals but um, at the start of 2021 it was a different story um, and I guess I think kind of we're just back from kind of Christmas into the new year and every single day the number of COVID patients were just jumping up and up and up each and every day um, sometimes up to nearly about 30 patients, which is a whole, whole ward of new COVID patients. Um, so it just meant for a lot of us working in hospital, we were constantly having to move patients around for wards. So new wards were becoming COVID, other wards were being moved, patients were moving out to non-COVID wards. Um, we were having to change rotors, we were having to deal with staff shortages and all sorts. And I guess it was just... It was really easy just to feel helpless in that situation. I'd sort of go into work and think, God, like, I, I just don't know what to do in this situation. But all I could do was pray um, and just remind myself that God is in control, even when it feels like he isn't. He really is. Um, and I just remember asking him for strength and to be there just for the people I was working with, to be able to put on that brave face and to be their rock when they were struggling as well. Um, and during this time, so I had um, both our children were um, homeschooling as well. So I was sort of going into work, leaving my husband, trying to homeschool them and doing work and going back to just crazy household. And I just remember using my walk to and from work 
just to pray through. So on my way to walk, just praying for what I had coming up and just asking God to help me to be there for the people I was working with, just help strengthen me and whatever I might face. And then the same, walking home, just sort of processing some of the day and just praying through things that happen, just kind of crying out to God, going, I, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I know you're in control, please help me. And I guess that really, I feel really, I felt really close to God in that situation, despite what was going on, just those kind of t- short times of prayer, just to and from work, just kind of helped remind me that God is there with me, I wasn't doing it alone, and just that, yeah, ultimately he was in control and he would get us through it somehow. Wow. So making difficult decisions in high-pressured situations, leading a team during a crisis, how do you see your role as a Christian in your workplace? I think for me, um, it's a huge reassurance that as a Christian, I am never alone. Um, I'm not ever relying on my own strength or wisdom or my opinion. I have the Holy Spirit living in me um, and that I can pray in any difficult situation I face or also when things go well, I can pray and God's there with me. Um, I think as Christians, we're called to model how Jesus lived. So um, I try and think about how he would have been in the workplace. And obviously, I guess John sort of touched on some of it in the passage today. Um, and think about, you know, time and time again, we see Jesus just loving people and being there with people, um, being pe- with people when they need it. And I guess I'm trying to sort of think about how I can be like that in my workplace. So um, as a Christian, a Christian, I'm really conscious of how, particularly how I speak to people, um, the words I use, the tone I use. Um, I really want to be approachable. I want to be helpful. I want to, to see people, to kind of meet people and, and know when they're struggling and, and be there for them. Um, and I want to, I guess I want to role model an attitude, um, kind of be a good role model in my attitude to work as well, kind of being hardworking, um, being honest, having integrity, and to do my share of those kind of jobs that no one else wants to do, kind of be kind of part of the team, but also want to be hardworking, responsible, and helpful, I guess, in what I'm doing. Thanks, Jenny. Final question. It's Mother's Day today, and it's important to recognize the work that mums do. You have two children, and you've got a demanding job. Can you talk to us briefly about how you try and manage those, uh, the balancing of your different roles? I guess to start with, I'll just be honest, and I know I don't always. Um, it's really hard, but... Um, if and when I do, I know it's not in my own strength. Um, I feel very, very blessed that I haven't had to choose between having a family or a career. Um, I've had the opportunity to do both, and I'm really grateful for being blessed in being able to do that. But I think as, as a mum and as working, I think it's really easy to feel guilty. I remember feeling so many times I feel guilty for not being able to give as much of my time and energy at work, and I also feel guilty for not being able to give as much time to my family. But I need to remember that those feelings are not from God. They, um, they're not helpful. And I need to just lay them aside um, and just do the best that I can in both roles. Um, I know I can't do everything now, but I you know, ask God for wisdom and knowing what I need to put aside and what is most important in each of those situations. Um, and I think for me as well, I think as, I mean, my work's quite full on. I work with a lot of people. And I guess I feel sometimes like, I'm giving myself to people all the time, whether it's my family at home or in work. And I guess I've learned from a practical point of view, it's really important for me to have time on my own. So like I've talked about my walk to and from work, that's often some time. But also sometimes I just find getting up earlier in the morning. So 
I try and get up before everyone else in the family just so I can have a little bit of time to myself, just to recharge myself so that I can give myself to other people throughout the day. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. Chris, would you like to come and take the seat and the microphone? Thank you. Chris, welcome. Hi. <laughs> so, first question for starter. Could you please briefly explain what you do as a job? Uh, yeah, I um, have a small uh, IT services business um, that I took on during the last recession in 2008, 2009. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been doing that since then. Um, so it's a business I run. Um, we've sort of grown and shrunk a little bit over the years. So we've had as many as 23 people working there, but there's currently um, 11 of us and we help other um, uh, small, medium-sized businesses to, to look after their IT, make, make it work well. Um, and Jill, I just want to say actually that I think, you know, that the job that I do, I guess, is, you know, it's quite demanding, quite time-consuming, and I think I've just been really struck actually just listening to Jenny around, you know, the irony of it being Mother's Day and uh, me being sat here talking about my work, which just feels ironic, and I feel very conscious of, I think, the sacrifice my own mum made to give up her career, which she would have been brilliant at as a doctor, um, to be our mum, and, um, and also for Becky, um, who I know definitely has made loads of sacrifices to let me do what I do. Well said, thanks Chris. Can you summarise please the difference you think your faith makes to the way you manage your business and lead your staff team? You might want to fill your, put your microphone oh, up sorry, a yeah. bit. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think God made all of us to have gifts and talents. Um, I think that a lot of those gifts and talents we can use within a, a church context, but I think most of them were given to us to use outside of, you know, of the church context and, and, and in our work, in our voluntary work, in, you know, at home, in all sorts of different contexts. But, you know, I've got a group of guys at work who, you know, I believe that God made them to be brilliant IT professionals um, or, or brilliant marketing professionals or brilliant finance, you know, whatever it is that they do. And I think that's what God made them to do and, and to serve God. And, and so whether or not they know that that's true, I don't think invalidates it. Um, and I feel like it's my job to help them to, to, to you know, to bring out their gifts and, and abilities um, uh, in, in their full. Thank you. Historically, and we've chatted about this, haven't we, Chris? The church has had a bit of an uneasy relationship with business and with making money in particular. It's been generally happier to focus on work as a, may, a way of um, helping people rather than creating wealth. And I think your, your thinking about this has developed over the years, and I wondered if you could briefly explain that. Yeah, so I think, I think yeah, definitely as a church, I think, and as Christians, I think we're, well, I'll talk about me, I guess, rather than we, because I know I can say that correctly. Um, you know, I definitely, I think, have grown up with like a, an imbalanced, unhealthy relationship with money. I think that, that we, that I definitely equated sort of a lot of the teaching around greed, um, to be like that money must be therefore bad, right? And, and I think for many of the early years running the business, I think that I almost, I think, was trying not to make any money, ironically. Um, and what that led to was like a really bad business because um, 
because we didn't have money to invest in the team, didn't have money to do training, didn't have money to buy them the resources they did need, didn't have the money to pay them what, what, you know, what I should have been paying them. Um, and as a consequence, that meant that the services we gave back to the clients who were paying us weren't as good as they could have been. Um, the morale and culture in the team wasn't as good as it should have been. So, you know, I think, I think I've learned that there, there, isn't, there isn't a, you know, doing a great, great job and making, a, making money are the same thing. And uh, really, because you need the money to, to be able to reinvest to do a great job. Um, and, and conversely, once you start reinvesting and, and, and training your people better, funnily enough, you make more money, uh, which, which is like a virtuous cycle, which is, which is really great. And I think just, you know, what John was saying there about how Paul was like, you know, he wasn't saying slavery should be abolished. He said, Let, let's flip that on its head. Let's say to masters, like, look after your, you know, your, 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 your slaves. And I think in a way, it's very similar. I think that as the church, maybe we've sort of got our knickers in a twist a little bit about money. I think let's like flip that on the head and see how money can just be a brilliant way to bring, you know, you know good things in, in, in workplaces and in the world generally. Okay, so in business, you have to make lots of tough decisions. And how did you square making those difficult decisions with God's commandment to love others? Yeah, I think... Um, going to probably just sound like some sort of tyrant at this point Jill um but I, th I think I think like we can it's easy to just to, to mix up like that command of like to love each other with being nice and I don't think being nice is always the right thing is it I mean sometimes it is and it's nice to be nice but but you know I think we were hearing a couple of weeks ago weren't we about like in a real friendship how sometimes we've got to say something that's challenging or difficult um you know in, in other relationships and I, and I feel like it's the same in you know, like I guess it's my business, I'm the boss, I suppose, technically, but, you know, and that can be like a power imbalance, but I think really, like, leadership is a role, it's like a function that needs to be performed well, and and, and part of my job is to, um, you know, is to say some challenging things to people sometimes, but also, hopefully, you know, we create a culture in the team where, where everyone is empowered to say challenging things to each other, but for the right reasons, right, for the, to, to improve what we're doing, to help us um, to be better and I guess Jill you know some of the reasons for maybe some of the you know for, you know you might be thinking of like the P&O situation over the last you know week which you know I'm not I have no idea what the the the, the, the rights and wrongs or, or truths of that or whatever you know there's all sorts of you know uh, you know spin that could be put onto that which um, which I can't comment on but but um, but I think that as um, yeah that 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 when we see those sort of headlines, you know, with corporate greed or corporate mismanagement or whatever, I think the challenge I really feel in that is, is like, are there Christians in that boardroom making that decision? Are there, are, are there, is there salt and light in those rooms where difficult decisions are being made? Or as the church, have we become frightened of money, frightened of making tough decisions because we want to be nice, we don't, we want to be selfless and all that sort of stuff. So effectively we've ended up backing away and we don't let ourselves, we don't, we don't end up having careers that end up with us in those rooms, you know, where these huge decisions get made which affect people's lives. And I guess as a challenge for all of us, I think is, you know, particularly younger generations, like let's make sure that we've got people who are going to be salt and light in those, in those tough, tough situations, I think. Thanks, Chris. So final question. Mm. How do you think we as a church can 
best support people in their workplace? Um, I think you're supporting each other. I think, you know, like, you know, Jenny was saying, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's ups and downs, isn't there? There's tough times, there's great times. And, you know, let's make sure we know, like in our home groups, in our friendship groups, you know, in coffee afterwards, let's know what people are up to. Um, let's be praying for stuff, whether it seems like a big thing or a little thing. Um, I think one thing we can do as a church to be brilliant is, I mean, I think we've just heard some brilliant women's voices this morning. I think we should be hearing more women's perspectives and voices uh, on that, you know, in the world, in the workplace and on the church platform as well. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely, you know, like, you know, I think it's, I don't think it's about like the church leadership supporting us in our workplaces. I think it's about as, as much as that. I think it's us supporting each other. In, in a real way um, and, and, and seeing it not like, you know, it's dead easy. Like, so like Becky and I run like a summer camp for kids. And when people say, oh, what can I pray for? It's easy to say, oh, like pray for us for our summer camp. Cause that's like a Christian thing, right? Um, but like, let's ask each other to really pray for those things we're doing at work. Like, you know, if I've got one-to-one -one meetings coming up next week, um, you know, why am I asking for prayer for that? You know, so I can do a really great job in those one-to-one -one meetings with my people uh, to help them to grow, to be into God's full, full, full you know, use of, the, of their gifts that God gave them. Fantastic. Lots of food for thought. Thank you very much indeed. Let's express Thanks, our Jill. appreciation to Chris. Let's just pray for Chris and for Jenny. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jenny and for Chris and for their willingness to share with us about their work and their faith this morning. We pray for them both in their workplaces, that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and enable them to be salt and light so that others will want to know more about the hope that they have in you. Help them especially when work is stressful or confusing or difficult. May they always know your guiding presence with them. Amen. The Bible contains an incredible wealth of wisdom about work. According to the Theology of Work Project, which I discovered recently, nearly 900 Bible passages apply to ordinary work from all 66 books of the Bible. Indeed, the Bible opens with the description of God doing the work of creation, doesn't it? As Eugene Peterson writes, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning, God created. He wasn't just sitting majestically in heaven. He created, he did something, he made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. Genesis 2 verse 15 tells us that God created man and put him to work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are workers because we're made in the image of God who works. We need to be engaged in creative and purposeful activities. It's fundamental to the essence of who we are and God cares deeply about it. Richard Fountain is now going to lead us in our prayers.